So today we're, we're continuing our series on prayer. Uh, we're using PRAY as an acronym and working through, P-R-A-Y. And so we've done uh, the P and the R, and today we're going into the A, and it stands for ask, ask. Now, when I was a kid, I knew that there was a specific parent to go to when I needed money or permission or my friends to come over. I knew that there was a parent that I needed to go to. Uh, Sometimes it's situational, right? One parent says yes easier than another parent. Uh, on certain areas of life, certain things. One parent is much more uh, willing to say yes than the other parent. The thing is, as a child, you just knew, didn't you? You just knew. You weren't a sociologist. You weren't a pollster figuring out which way to go. You just intuitively, intuitively figured out who to ask when for what. Now, I know for myself, I grew up in a two-parent home, and maybe some of you haven't. But even you knew when to ask, didn't you? You heard a tone in their voice. You saw a distinct way that they were tidying up after the mess that you made and just knew that this wasn't the right time to ask for ice cream or extra dessert or a raise in your allowance. My kids are like, what's an allowance? Also, my kids, is that they know that when Ingrid says, uh, let me think about it, that's just a delayed yes. So if they can get her to say, let me think about it, just to push them off, they're just like, yes. They just know they got to wait a little bit, and she's going to say yes. We just know. And the art of the ask is that just that. It's an art form, isn't it? Depending on what you're asking for, there was a certain approach needed whether it was the salesperson's pitch or the lawyer's case for a yes, or whether it was the the puppy dog, you know, puppy eyes look when you're just like, please, and you're just acting like their favorite child that has never done anything wrong, right? Or the incessant asking uh, approach, a.k.a. whining, where it's just like, please, please, can I, please, can I, please, can I? Every parent right now is like shuddering and twitching a little bit because they know the sound of hearing that over and over again. Or there's the playing on the parent ice cream vice approach where they know, you know, they love ice cream and you're like, can we just have your favorite ice cream right now? Because you know they will want to give in and have it as well. There's also the, the they're tired approach and just win whatever you want because they're tired. There's the hungry approach because uh, there's the happy approach, the distracted approach, the give up approach, the I'm confused about what you're even asking approach. There's the I just want to be left alone time to be asking. There's the I can barely hear you over the lawnmower time. All different times that kids seem to know when to ask their parents for what they want, isn't it? Now, the thing is, we grow up, those kids, and it turns out that we start using those same tactics with our spouse, doesn't it? You know you do. You know you do, right? You know, the one who has a hobby and and needs to explain whether there's new tools showing up in the shop all the time, or there's a new golf club in the bag, or there's new, whatever, crafting supplies from, from Michael's. You know that you need to talk about why you did those things and ask in the right way. There's nuances to asking for what we want. 
even if we disguise it by asking for what they want. Maybe that's the art of the deal. How we view the person determines how we're going to ask for what we want. How we see them determines how we ask from them. And so how does that relate to when we're asking from God? A prayer could be as simple as, God, I need you. Or it could be like Jonah's prayer in the Bible for salvation, literally when he's at the bottom of the sea in a great fish. He says this, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out from help from the deep inside Sheol and you heard my voice where you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. The current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And then I asked, I have been banished from your sight and yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck and the watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gales shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit. Lord, my God, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Two different prayers totally there, right? One is just like, help! And the other one is this massive poetic, you know, statement about his condition and where things are and how he's gone down and sank to the bottom of the seas and how there's seaweed and there's all, and he makes it all poetic. There's two different views. One's detailed and descriptive and poetic, but it doesn't make it any more powerful than Peter's, Lord, save me, when he too was sinking in the water. Both prayers, the simple and the detailed, share one thing in common. They were asking something of God. And Jesus, when teaching his disciples how to pray, to look at the the scope of how he invites him to pray, we look at his words again. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So far, Jesus has prefaced our our coming to God and our praying to God this way with, one, he's our spiritual dad in heaven, and two, his name is absolutely holy. And now Jesus continues to teach us how to approach him, that we need to take the form we need to take when asking from God. He is your powerful father, and we declare his kingdom is coming. We orient ourselves around God's will being done on earth. We approach God by aligning to the vision that he has for us, by relinquishing our vision and letting his vision unfold in our lives. It's in this place that we can come to God and ask for all that we need today. Give us today our daily bread. doesn't make sense in our culture. Bread is common to all cultures, and it isn't the most special of meals, although my wife might disagree. She loves bread and baked goods. Some restaurants will give it to you for free as part of your meal. I guess maybe that's a free. 
But this wasn't a lesson in frugality that he was teaching. You can only ask God for bread or for just the very, very basics. It's not a, a lesson in asceticism or, or the, the severe self-discipline and the avoidance of indulgences. Jesus isn't trying to set us up as, uh, as Christians who have nothing more than the, the bare necessities to get by. That's not what he's trying to set up. This is what it was. It's a lesson in asking for what we need today to participate in seeing his kingdom expand. The kingdom of Jesus is beautifully expansive and special. And a loaf of bread is it's good. And there seems to be, again, nothing special about it. And that's kind of the point. We approach God and ask simply for what we need. We don't need to conquer the world in a day. We also don't need to have everything stocked for the next 50 years of our lives. It's his kingdom, and he'll take care of it. One thing I want to note about this, this message in, in this, this prayer is that it has nothing to do um, with savings or investments or anything like that. So don't pull that out of this message. It has nothing to do with, with that at all. God desires to be involved in this big, expansive kingdom, shaping things, shaping life. And he equally desires to be present in the good, ordinary, mundane moments, the pace that we actually live at. See, prayer can be described in many ways, yet for most, it's asking God for something. And many ask, though, are there... Are there verses in the Bible that just say, if I ask it, God will give it to me? And we can look at verses like James 4, 2. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. So then we go like, okay, well, that just means I need to ask, and then God will give it to me, right? Or we could look at John 14, 13 to 14, where it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Or we look at 1 Peter 3.12 and said, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayers. All right, God can hear my prayers. He will do what I ask in his name. Your father knows the things you need before you ask him, Matthew 6, 8. Okay, so God knows what I need before I ask him. His ears are open, and if I ask in Jesus' name, I will get, because I just need to ask. Those verses... A, if they're taken out of context, or B, used as a formula or a trump card to lead to to what we've talked about, having that view of God that will determine how or even if we ask God of something. How you view God will determine how you ask him for things. One of the views I think we see God, or there the view we can potentially see God is this. We see God as a, a genie or, or somebody on demand. In that, that's the verse, John 14, 13 to 14. Whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we take that and we think, wow, I can just do that? But here's the thing. Jesus isn't a wishing well or a genie, adding his name to the end of whatever we want isn't actually praying. It's wishing. 
In some cases, it's demanding. And it's about building your own kingdom and not building God's kingdom. It turns God into a lottery or into, into a prosperity God. In Jesus' name doesn't mean you can say, I want a million dollars in Jesus' name, and you get it. In Jesus' name means asking is aligned with his character and purposes in life. It is the on earth as, in he- as it is in heaven that we pray when we say we're praying in Jesus' name. And while we are free to ask God anything, he's free to say no to anything. And that, do- that does, especially things that don't align to his purpose for our lives. You could think, well, doesn't God want me to be prosperous? If I was, if I was wealthy, then I could, I could give to the local church. I could do so many nice things. I could make sure the mobile mission is completely taken care of and they have everything they need to go downtown if God made me independently wealthy like that. God owns everything. He doesn't need us to be independently wealthy in order to finally give to his mission. He needs us just to give Give when it hurts, so that when we do have a lot, we'll still give till it hurts. I want to make a point, though, that we're also free to express our disappointment, our frustration, or misunderstandings when we don't understand why God is saying no to a particular request. The second thing I see us sometimes doing with God how we view God sometimes. Sometimes we see him as that genie. We just rub the lamp and ask our questions and hope that he answers. And the second thing I sometimes think we see him as is this, that we see God as that stern parent where we need to earn what we're asking for. We see that in, in the, the, the man who came to him in Matthew 19. It says, behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You can hear the prayer of his heart there. God, what do I need to do to feel like I have that assurance of eternal life right now? You can hear the cry of his heart. A young man desperate to figure out how he can earn the right to what God would give him freely. When we view God as a parent who looks down over, and I don't wearing glasses right now, but you can picture it, right? You can pull the glasses down and looks over you at the, over the tip of the glasses and gives you that stern look like, do you really think you deserve what you're asking for right now? Or that maybe the, it looks like they're thinking up the chores that you need to do to get it, right? When we view that, we, we think like we need a bunch of, we need to do a bunch of things in order to forget to get them to say yes. I know you've asked that way. I've asked that way to my parents when I was a kid, where you come up and you go like, I've cleaned my room. I did my chores. All my homework is done. I've done everything. I haven't argued with my sibling. You know, was that enough to earn what I'm asking for? We've asked those questions to our parents. And I think we do that with God as well. We may say, God, I went to church three out of four times this month. I serve once a month at church. Is that not good enough? I gave in the, you know, I gave a little more than I usually give, God. You know, can I ask you for this nice thing? Can I ask you for this favor? 
Or maybe it's deal making for you. Maybe you don't do it that way. You you do deal making. God, I promise you that I will live like this the rest of my life if you answer this prayer. We try to make deals with God. If you do this, then I'll do this for you. Both are an attempt to obligate God to give you what you want, to give you what you're asking for. Whether they're selfless or selfish, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's not even for you. You're saying, God, I promise if you could just save my kids, I will do this for you. If you can just do this for my granddaughter, then I will do this for you. It can be selfless, but we're trying to like hook God in to making sure that he does his end of the bargain. It just doesn't work that way. So how can we approach God in prayer with our needs? How can we do that? What does it look like to do that in, in a way that is uh, responsible and, and healthy for us in, in our relationship with God? How can we view God in a way that will help us to communicate to him clearly? I think there's a good example uh, in the story of the Bible that we can look at in, in um, Mark 10. It says this, as he was leaving, meaning Jesus uh, was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd, with, and a large crowd was there. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to keep quiet. But he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so he called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. And so he threw off his coat, jumped up, It came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, which means teacher, the blind man said to him, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. So how how do we take from this, this story in the Bible? How do we learn how to approach God in prayer. One of the things I intentionally did was I chose a scripture where it's not specifically a prayer, but it's communication with Jesus, the Son of God anyway, that we can approach God in conversation. And that it's not just a one-way thing where we throw up a prayer and hope that somehow magically something up there answers the prayer. That it's a dialogue with your Father in heaven. It's a conversation with him. You're asking and waiting for a response. But I love how Pete, Greg's uh, simple articulation of how uh, that we can ask, that we can see in this as an example. And if you haven't gotten the book, I don't usually recommend a lot of books for you because I know it costs money to read these things. But we have a book at the back by Pete, Greg, called um, How to Pray. And it's absolutely amazing. And if you want to grow in your prayer life and grow in how you talk to Jesus, I I highly recommend it. But the first thing is this. Asking is relational. Asking is relational, whereas wishing is impersonal. When we ask God, we're, we're talking to him directly. It's relational. When he hears 
when, he, when you see the man in the story, when he hears that it's Jesus, he calls him out by name. He doesn't just ask the great force out there or whoever has power, can you come by and use your power to do something for me? He calls to Jesus by name. So it's relational. When we talk to God, he's not a wishing well. He's not a power that we access. We're talking to our Father in heaven. And it's great for us to, to take that and keep that in mind as we approach God, that we're approaching a person. The second thing, asking is vulnerable. We are placing our trust in God. When we see the, the man in the story, he knows, he knows there's no way that he could earn what he needs. There's no way that he could accomplish it in his own. His weaknesses are exposed. It must be up to God in that moment. And as we approach God, we need to have that same posture. That before God, our weaknesses are exposed. What we're asking for is something that we cannot do in our own strength. He already knows it, but we're saying, God, what you already know, I want to make sure that you understand that I know it. That I am, I am vulnerable and I cannot do this in my own strength. And the third thing is this, asking is Intentional. It means that we are free to involve God or not. When he asks, he's specific. When he asks, there's purpose. When he asks, there's a desire for God to intercede on his behalf. We see that it's relational, vulnerable, and intentional. But then how do, again, do we handle a no or when he seems silent? When we ask for something that we look at it and go... I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't know why he's saying no in this moment. When it seems that, that on earth as it is in heaven is delayed. It's not happening on earth like it is in heaven. We've prayed prayers that aligned with his word. And we receive results that seem to contradict it. Here's that we can do our best. What we can do our best to do is remember this. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, Therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy laid before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us lay aside every hindrance, everything that would keep us, that trip us up and keep us from following God. Let's lay us them aside. Our posture should be to keep looking to Jesus. Even when our temptation is to look away and to look for something else for a solution. In our hearts, sometimes we do that, don't we? Where we're like, we go to God and we're like, God, can you help me with this? Can you help solve this problem for me? And we're like, not getting the answer that we want. And then we're like, okay, can this help me with the problem that I have? Can this be my solution? We just totally abandon God being our solution and our sustainer and go to something else thinking, if I didn't get the answer that I wanted there, then I'm going to get it over here. 
instead of pausing and trusting God, that the pioneer or the, the person that, are, that started our faith is going to be the one that perfects our faith. So how do we respond? We can look to Jesus and respond to those moments in worship and in praise and in adoration. Saying, God, you're still on the throne. Even though you didn't give me that yes, you're still on the throne and I'm going to worship you. Or you can look to Jesus in disappointment or frustration and pain. He's okay with that. He's okay with you looking at him and going like, I don't understand why you said no. He's okay with that. The most important thing to do is to keep looking to Jesus. Why? Because our faith, our following, is in a person, not a power. I'm going to sign up for this because there's power involved. We sign up for this because there's a person involved that loves us. When it comes to faith, Jesus is the founder and the perfecter. So if the story is not yet good, if what you're going through hasn't gotten to the happy ending part yet, then that means God's not done. God's not done. When it hasn't turned out like we wanted, big or small, we can ask Jesus. Corey Ten Boom said it like this. If a care is too small to be turned into a prayer, it's too small to be made into a burden. If you think it's too small to bring it to God, it's not big enough to worry God about, then it shouldn't be big enough for you to worry about. It shouldn't be big enough for you to carry around day after day, holding you down, weighing you down. If it's doing that to you, then bring it to God. We're not asked to carry those burdens. We're not strong enough to handle them, but he is. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, his kingdom coming. Cast all your cares on him, because he cares about you. No matter what you think, no matter what you're going through, no matter how many prayers you thought were answered the way you thought they should be or weren't, God cares for you. Those cares and those burdens that we carry. Sometimes you will be asking God regarding something for yourself. And that's what we call like a petition. We're asking God for something we need. Sometimes you'll be asking for others. And in prayer, that's what we call intercession, where you're interceding on somebody else's behalf. Maybe somebody who doesn't even know Jesus and you're asking God to meet them. You're asking God to show up in their life somehow, some way, for God to introduce himself to them. You're interceding for them. In your life, whether it's petition or intercession, big or small, ask God personally, Vulnerably, relationally, ask God. If you feel like you've approached God as a genie, know that God cares about you more than just seeing you happy. He wants to see you holy. 
He wants to see you set apart and living for his kingdom, not this one. If you feel like you've seen God as that stern father, you've had to earn respect from and earn answers from, God doesn't want you to try and earn his trust, earn his favor. He wants you to learn to rest in him and to see that he isn't a stern father, but he is a steady one and a sure one. So when he answers yes, we look to Jesus. And when he answers no, we look to Jesus. And when he seemingly doesn't answer, we persevere and look to Jesus. Because whether your prayer is help or it's eloquent, your prayers change things. Your prayers change the atmosphere that we're living in. Pascal's and, and Paul's prayers throughout the, the downtown core are changing things. They've seen two people begin a journey with Jesus in the two weeks they've gone out. Their prayers are changing things. And I want to encourage you, your prayers are too. Even when you don't get the answer you're looking for, when you continue to look to Jesus, he is perfecting your faith in that. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you again that we do have the opportunity to come to you. That you're the God of the universe. You created everything. You have the power over life and death. You can be killed on a cross and yet you can raise from the dead. Who are we in front of you? Who are we compared to you? All that is is your creation. And yet, in the midst of that, you give us free access, open access to come before you and ask anything of you, to complain to you, to, to ask for the, the craziest things from you. Because you love us and you care for us and you want us to see your kingdom come which is the best reality for us so God I just pray that as a congregation we would grow in what it looks like to ask from you we'd ask bold prayers for big things We'd see your kingdom here on earth. We'd say, God, as in heaven here on earth. And we pray that that would happen in Cornwall. And God, we would, we would ask for small things. The key is that we just keep coming to you and asking for your provision, your help, that you would be the sustainer of our lives. God, help us to have a healthy view of who you are. You're not a genie and you're not a stern parent. You're a loving, sure, and faithful God who will bring his kingdom. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.